Hi, I'm Patrick Finley. He's Jason Leisure. He's Mark Potash. Welcome to Hallis Intrigue, the Chicago Bears podcast, where, guys, we will talk about the first week of training camp and about how it's about to change. All that and more coming up on Hallis Intrigue. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Potsy, the Bears uh, will reach one full week since the veterans reported coming up here on Tuesday. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the big development they've had here and, and about some of the ones we expect to come. The big one, of course, Cole Komet getting a four-year, $50 million extension. Uh, that happened on the day of the first training camp practice, I believe, and uh, seems to lock one of their kind of few building blocks in for a long time. Yeah, I think that 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 sounded like that sounded like a good deal for the Bears and a good deal for Cole Komet. Uh, looking at the numbers, uh, it does project him to be better than he's been. That's part of it. But on the other hand, the Bears didn't have to really overpay. I think based on what he's already done. So, you know, I, I thought that was a good first move. It's consistent with uh, Ryan Poles, who's not going to break the bank for anybody. It, it, it appears certainly wouldn't for Roquan Smith. Uh, I doubt he will for Jalen Johnson, and uh, he's been very conservative about that uh, in protecting what is uh, has been you know a large pool of uh, of salary uh, in uh, of salary cap money to use. It's uh, I think it's good discipline at this point, but at some point, but not that that's always good. Sometimes you got to pay more. Jason, the Bears have more money to spend than anybody in the league. Potsy mentioned it, and I think he's right that. Jalen Johnson is not going to break the bank, but does Jalen want to break break the bank? He seems to be saying the right things about knowing his place in the world. Someone had asked him about Stephon Diggs, the star corner for Dallas and, and his contract, and he essentially said, yo, man, I am not Stephon Diggs. Or I'm sorry, not Stephon Diggs, the other Diggs. Um, Stephon Diggs plays wide receiver. Trevon Diggs. Trevon Diggs. And he said, I'm not him. Uh, that's a good sign, right, if you're trying to read tea leaves about you know whether he'll take a, a reasonable offer? It is. I think Jalen Johnson is taking an old-school approach. and part, But part of what he's looking at, Patrick, is he does want to break the bank, and he sees an opportunity to put himself in that category. And his agent is probably telling him like the truth about where he stacks up. And, and he brought this up. He says, Jalen Johnson said, my accolades don't match my talent, and so I'm not going to get what these guys that are three-time All-Pros already have gotten. But... If Jalen Johnson, and he's super young, by the way. I can't remember his age, but I want to say 23 or 4. 24. He's younger than he should be for what year in the league he is. If he goes out and makes the Pro Bowl this year, Pro Bowl cornerback hits the open market at that age with a pretty good track record, I mean, he will break the bank then. Right. And, and Potsy, the, the third guy I can think of is Darnell Mooney. I, I don't think there's any question that Ryan Poles – uh, a year ago at this time, was sure that he would extend Mooney, uh, an ankle injury that cost him the second half of last year and this entire offseason. Uh, may have clouded things a bit, but would you bet that he goes uh, and gets a new deal before Jalen Johnson does or after? I'd say before. I, I think um, I think uh, Darnell Mooney, as soon as he shows that he's back, uh, I think that deal will get done fairly quickly 
uh, or without uh, you, know, you know or without it being I guess a, a big contentious deal let's put it that way I what? agree I agree too though Pat I what? think that there isn't much for Darnell Mooney to show other than health well and, and here's how he has to show it and I asked Ryan Pulls this is you know they monitor their players with GPS devices uh, to measure acceleration de deacceleration all sorts of good stuff and that they're going to be watching those numbers to see if those are consistent with what he was like before he got hurt. My question for you is, do GPS numbers in practice, is that enough to get him paid before he takes his first real hit uh, in the NFL this year? I think it probably is, because I think that that is going to tell you all you need to know. And he'll take some hits. You're right, there's a difference between a game hit and one of these practice hits, even when it's full contact. But I, I think that he is he is a guy that's going to get a new deal once they see, or at least going to be up for consideration. Who knows if they'll agree? But would be up get for getting an offer after two to three weeks of just hitting his numbers and showing that he is the same athlete that he was before the injury. Potsy brought this up before Roquan Smith. Uh, do you think it's fair to say that Cole Komet, one of the reasons for signing Cole Komet is kind of what it what it says about polls and that polls was more willing to stake his reputation on Komet in terms of a stable, reliable player? And if so, that probably bodes well for Mooney, who pretty infamously said last week, hey, man, I'm not a problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a risk. I'm not a risk. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. You don't have to worry about Darnell Mooney doing his job. You don't have to worry about that with Cole Komet. You, the thing you worry about them with, worry about with them is just the over ta overall talent level. Yeah. Is Cole Komet fully maxed out talent-wise good enough? To for you to be an elite offense, we don't know that yet. He does have to, as Patsy was was uh, was saying, he has to be better than this for that to be a good contract. This contract, he can't just be like at his peak now and more of the same at that price. He has to take another step forward from that for the contract to make sense. But but he can also exceed the contract. I would argue in yeah. this offense, whereas like for example, Eddie Jackson could not. Eddie Jackson could never exceed his contract. That's the kind of thing that I, I think that's the kind of thing that Pace uh, Poles wants to avoid is paying a guy so much that he can never exceed it, and uh, and he can he can only underperform. And I think that's that's kind of uh, the big the the, the, the thing with uh, with with the contract for for Komet is that he he you're right I mean it might not work out but it has a chance to not only work out it could work out even better for the Bears because he can't exceed it uh, if the Bears offense it's on the Bears offense to kind of uh, give him uh, get that kind of production guys one of the reasons I wanted to lead with contracts and potential future deals is that really when you when you look at training camp and what we've seen thus far we've seen practices Wednesday Thursday Friday. Saturday, uh, and then again on Monday, there hasn't been a whole lot. <laughs> the ramp up to pads has made this almost like a bunch of walkthroughs. Uh, Jason, is there? Is it foolish to try and tell anything from what you're seeing, and and how important you know is the next you know couple of days going to be when they can actually put on pads and hit somebody? It's not foolish, Patrick, but you've got to have the right. Um, you got to put the right amount of weight on certain practices. So it's, it's not foolish to look at Justin Fields' first week of training camp and say, okay, he's on track, but you have to have a healthy sense of what that really means. That isn't, a huge, that isn't hugely significant in the long run. And today, as the Monday, as the practices ramped up a little bit, you had what, what the coaches, I'm sure, will tell you was a really good day for the defense. <laughs> 
which is a, a kind of a sneaky way of saying not a good day at all for Justin Fields. A lot of – like this was clearly his worst day. Who was the guy who intercepted the ball in, in the end zone? The uh, safety? Um, That's the point I'm trying to I make. Somebody, of somebody none of us have ever heard of. I, I, um, Tyreek Stevenson got him too uh, during an early, but the but Justin Fields ended the uh, ended the practice going deep into the end zone down the middle and getting picked off by Braylon Trahan, everybody, an undrafted. I, I remember the guy now. He's an undrafted rookie that they picked from up from what Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, ULL. Yeah, yeah. No, Potsy. I, I feel like I'm winding you up on purpose here, but uh, that's makes it no different than any other day, whether there's a microphone or not. What do you make of football practices that have been at this speed and this level of intensity? Well, they don't tell you anything. That's kind of the the, the toughest thing about this particular season. There's so, everything is geared towards Justin Fields, right? I mean, that's all we're writing about at all, but mostly. And yet, there's nothing Justin Fields can do at all until week one that will tell us where he's headed. Everything, this whole season is predicated on Justin Fields learning being a quarterback, playing, quote-unquote, playing quarterback which means you know, pre-snap reads, progressions, getting rid of the ball, manipulating the pocket, doing things that can only be done correctly in a game. And so uh, to that end, uh, we, you know, we're not really going to know. Even, if you, even as when the pads come on and he does things that uh, either impress you or don't, you're not going to know for sure if he's really the guy or, or making the progress you want until you see him in a game. I'm not saying that, that makes practice worthless, but uh, I'm just saying, you, especially in non-padded practices that we've had now, you really can make, I don't think, very few judgments about fields in particular and in general this offense. You're trying to gauge along the way whether he is staying on track with where he needs to be, and Monday was uh, a little bit discouraging, I would say. Overall, they had he had other problems offensively too. Yeah. By the way, the offense as a whole looked disjointed on Monday. Fields threw a couple of interceptions. He threw some incomplete passes in seven on seven. Uh, he I don't know whose error this is. It's hard to tell uh, unless you know you know where everybody was supposed right. to be. But he, he and Treston Ebner uh, failed to connect on a pitch. Justin Fields pitched it too far out in front of him, or maybe Ebner wasn't didn't get to where he was supposed to be, and that was a fumble in the backfield. A lot of issues offensively. And this is supposed to be the time, Mark, before they get into full pads and everything. It should be a little bit easier for the offense. Yeah, I'm not going to make any judgments on that, to tell you the truth, uh, whether that's a bad sign or not. I mean, there's got to, if, if, the, if, that is, if that inconsistency shows over time in pads and in, in, in more competitive practices, then I think it's a problem. But... Um, I think uh, reacting to Justin Fields' day, day today is almost overreacting in this in the current environment, uh, because, like you said, we don't really know what some of the circumstances were. Um, but yeah, I'm just uh, frankly just not going to make a big deal about it until I see it's a problem. It's like it's like when a guy when a pitcher uh, who you like like Giolito, Kopech, those guys who are up and coming, they have one bad game. And then you say, well, whatever. Now, when a guy has one bad game, then good, then bad, then good, then bad, then all of a sudden it becomes a pattern. And uh, I haven't seen that pattern with uh, Fields, even in this environment. It's been, it's, so to me, it's like it's one bad, it's one not so great, one bad practice. Uh, when it becomes a consistent thing, uh, then you've got an issue. I will say, though, to the doubters, the critics, that uh, – you have every right to be kind of dubious of Justin Fields when he has a practice like this. 
but uh, because of his, because he hasn't really shown a, a consistency as far as throwing the ball um, that he needs to do, I just I think it just should be acknowledged. But I wouldn't make a judgment off it as far as long term. It's concerning, and I think this is part of what you were just saying. It's concerning um, from the standpoint of. Justin, the burden of proof is on Justin Fields. That's, that's you, you said what I wanted to say. Justin Fields has to show us yeah. and the Bears yeah. something. This isn't just, you know, this isn't this is a different training camp than yes. Justin Herbert's proven, training camp. Right, he, exactly. You yeah. can laugh off Justin yeah. Herbert having yeah. a day yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Uh, Fields has a lot to prove. I'm concerned, Mark, looking at, at the season, that the downfall is going to be if he doesn't develop into – a very good passer, that it's going to be the path of least resistance, and he's going to be trying to run, and the Bears will probably go for that too. That they, if if Luke Getzey's offense, if the passing game isn't working, then they're all going to default to what they know has a better chance of working, which is him running. And I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah, that causes all sorts of problems. But I say even if this offense really kind of uh, kicks in. I think it's going to be pretty run-heavy, too. I don't think they're going to start throwing the ball around, slinging it around. When this offense works, at least at this stage of development, I think even if even if um, uh, if Fields is very proficient and efficient as a quarterback, I still think it's going to be – he's not going to – it's still going to be a, a – I wouldn't say run-heavy, but, you know, certainly a run-oriented offense. And uh, I think you have that. But that concern is absolutely legit because it opens things up to injury – uh, and just in lack of and just lack of uh, productivity or efficiency because they're going to be so predictable. So I mean that's you know that's the big issue. That's why we're here. That's that's what this year is all about. I keep saying that um, is uh, just seeing if they can make that take that step uh, in 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 the passing game. A huge piece of that is going to be the offensive line, which was a disaster not just last year but the year before that. Um, they have in the past in the past protection. Yes. The bear, this is the first time in Justin Fields' career that he isn't surrounded by all these problems in theory. Um, we haven't seen the offensive line in pads yet. That'll come Tuesday. But on paper, Mark, do you buy this plan where you have Braxton Jones staying at left tackle, you move Tevin Jenkins again now to left guard, Cody Whitehair at center, Nate Davis at right guard, and the rookie Darnell Wright at right tackle? Well, I buy the, the theory of continuity. I think that's been proven in the NFL that continuity is good. Continuity can make mediocre lines good uh, and uh, and passable. And I think you know at this time last year, uh, Riley Reef and uh, uh, who else did they get? Oh, Schofield. Michael Schofield. Michael Schofield guard, were yeah. were contenders for starting positions. Uh, Sam Mustaver had just been moved from right guard to center. Um, they were mixing and matching. They uh, they were probably starting an offensive line that maybe had two pieces that ended up uh, uh, starting um, maybe three with Mustafa, but it was all jumbled up. And this year, uh, with a few exceptions recently, um, the five they know who their five are. And I, and I agree. I think uh, uh, I don't I don't think that's just uh, uh, just talk that they can, that they'll be better because I just think it helps any. Any offensive line, um, historically, you know, the Bears or any team, any any team that just starts the same five guys for all 16 games, it's usually been a pretty good offense. So I think if they get that continuity, I certainly buy it. At what level will they play at? Well, um, that's a good question, but I will say I don't have any doubt if they do get that continuity, they will be better than last year. You, hard to be worse when you allow 
what, 55 sacks for your starting quarterback, I think 58 total. Um, I think they'll be better. How much better will that make the offense? Um, unfortunately, I don't think we anybody really knows that. You mentioned Riley Reef, and that was a guy they picked up, picked up off the street, I think, the day before training camp started. Yep. And he did not end up winning a starting job, but we all thought that he would. We all thought, okay, well, he'll be starting left tackle, and they'll move Braxton Jones over to right tackle. One of the things I like about the offensive line that they have now is these are all pretty much, I mean, the only one you couldn't say this about technically is Darnell Wright because he's a rookie, but these are all, in my opinion, indisputable NFL starting caliber offensive linemen. All of them. Yes. So there isn't this situation that the Bears are always in, and they're in right now at pass rusher, where you're looking around at street free agents saying, well, that's not really a great option, but right. it is better than what the Bears have. You know, this is something This is something they've been saying at wide receiver and corner over the years. Right. This year, it's it's defensive end. Like the, any street free agent they sign right now is not great, but better than what they have. That isn't true right now about the offensive line. There isn't someone that they would bring in and would immediately have a chance to take over one of those jobs. There's, uh, it's, uh, it's almost like a theme of uh, this Bears camp. There's a big difference to me between expectation and just hope. And, uh, and I think that's a good example how, well, gee, maybe this guy who's never been very good before at this position will suddenly be good because he's in this position. They do that. Um, uh, they're not in that. Same thing I pointed out last week on defense, uh, you know, where, you know, there's a big difference between expecting an un undrafted free agent like Jack Sanborn to be an all-pro or pro bowl or whatever, and a guy like Jaquan Brisker who's a proven uh, a proven, a proven NFL safety, even as a rookie, or Kyler Gordon for that matter, or Braxton Jones. There's a big difference between that, and 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 so the so there's an expectation uh, that a guy like Brisker will take a big jump. That's not pie in the sky. That's not that's wishful. That's wishful thinking that the Bears have so much been so much of part of the positivity of Bears seasons in the past. Same thing on the offensive line, maybe to a little bit lesser degree, but I still think it's a, a good point. Significant one that you're right. They're po they're at least they're counting on guys who are all proven. The only unproven one is the best prospect of them all. Turn That's the right. other thing. You're not asking Charles Leno or somebody a, a seventh round draft pick to suddenly play like a first rounder. You're asking the tenth pick of the draft to play like a first round draft pick. That's not wishful thinking. That's the only, that's a, in this league. That's an expectation. And Cody Whitehair at his experience and salary, and Nate Davis at his salary. All of these guys have. Yeah. The resume that suggests they wouldn't just bring in a Riley Reef or Michael Schofield type, yeah. and that person would even have just a chance. Just hope, yeah, at, maybe it'll work out. Yes. One thing we have not talked about, Patrick, at all, is the rookie class, and part of why we haven't talked about it is because they're not in pads, mm -hmm. and the Bears spent a lot of their draft capital on the line of scrimmage. So, what are you able to tell about Darnell Wright necessarily, or the defensive tackles? But apart from those guys. We've seen Tyreek Stevenson. We've seen uh, uh, Tyler Scott and Noah Sewell and some of these guys. What do you think of the rookies that we have been able to evaluate over the first week? Terrell Smith would be the one I'd, I'd pick out. You know, he's been running with the first team instead of Tyreek Stevenson. Uh, Matt Eberflus does not throw compliments around easily. And he had said, what, at the end of mandatory minicamp that he, or that he had wished that he had seen more of Smith because Smith got hurt. Um, whether you take that as a as a shot that he wished uh, he would have played through the injury or, or whether he actually genuinely wanted to see him is a different question. But I think he stands out. Uh, he is big and physical. He's someone who is old. You know, we talk about he might be, in all seriousness, Jalen Johnson's age. Um, you know, he had a long career at, at Minnesota, 
one in which he was benched for like two full seasons. So this guy isn't like a can't-miss prospect, but he's somebody who the Bears have uh, glommed on to pretty quick, and I think that that is um, notable. And, you know, when you talk about they're going to put pads on here pretty soon, Roshan Johnson, man, you can't tell anything about running backs until pads come on. And when they do, I, I think you're going to see the best of what he has to offer. He is physical in a way that Khalil Herbert isn't. So I think in that sense, it may pop during practice. Uh, you know, he's the Texas running back who played uh, behind uh, Bijan Robinson. And uh, so he's got some tread left on his tires. And he also knows, you know, uh, being able to share time isn't anything new to this kid, as opposed to a lot of running backs that you draft. So I think he's got the right attitude going into what could be a timeshare with Dante Foreman, him, and uh, Herbert. Uh, by the way, Terrell Smith and Jalen Johnson, both 24, you're right. They are about three months apart in age. That's amazing, isn't it? It, it, it is, and Jalen Johnson has, you know, that it, it's to both of their benefits, I guess. Right. I mean, we all rolled our eyes when they drafted Valus Jones and he was 35 or something like that, <laughs> I think. Um, but in, in Terrell Smith, that helps him. In Terrell Smith's case, that helps him right now. I mean, he should have some advantage over the other guys. And maybe that's why he was there in the second half of the draft. Uh because of his age. His teams don't want a 24-year-old rookie. Yeah. yeah, it's a weird investment to make. Uh, but, yeah, and, uh, to me, that grabs me. But, you know, we'll see not only once the pads come on, but then once they're preseason games. Because preseason games don't matter for a lot of people. They sure as heck matter for rookies. So um, we will see. But there will be plenty of podcasts, Jason and Potsy, between now and then. Uh, along the way, you can follow Jason, Mark, and myself on social media, whether that's Twitter or um, threads or uh, what, whatever. You can pick up a Chicago Sun-Times or check us out on our website. Uh, he is Mark Potash. He's Jason Leisure. I'm Patrick Finley. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back again real soon. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.